Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Hebrews chapter number 10. And today we're going to start a brand new series of messages for the next three weeks that we have entitled Better Together. Better Together. Some things in life are just better together, aren't they? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how we can do life together, specifically in the context of the local church, how we can do life together. And I believe that this uh, series can be an encouragement to us. And we're going to be in Hebrews chapter number 10. And we're going to start reading in verse number 19. If you're there, would you say amen? The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Everybody say boldness. Boldness. By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. Everybody say, draw near. near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Everybody say one another. another. Exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. If you believe it, would you say amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us, and uh, thank you for uh, the time of concentrated and focused worship on you and your name today. And uh, Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes we, we will be able to Really fixate on your word today. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can uh, have hearts of understanding. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate the text so that we can understand the meaning and the significance for us today. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would uh, be ready to uh, lean in a little bit and uh, grasp whatever you have for us. God, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Give me the words to say Uh, that might be helpful and beneficial for us this morning. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... I remember growing up, my favorite movie in elementary school was the original Lone Ranger. How many of you have ever seen the original Lone Ranger before? Uh, I remember I loved that movie and uh, watched it all the time, and, and uh, I, I had a VHS copy of that movie. And uh, how many of you know what a VHS tape is, okay? And uh, I had a VHS uh, a copy of that movie, and I remember my family was on a road trip, and uh, we were driving through the middle of the desert, and uh, I was sitting in the back seat, and I had a copy of The Lone Ranger, my VHS copy, and I was kind of looking at it and reading the back, and, and uh, I remember my dad was talking to me, and I admit in my elementary youth, I was having a bit of a bad attitude in the car, and I was kind of complaining and grumbling on this road trip, and, and uh, my dad was trying to talk to me, and I was not responding, and uh, I remember my dad said, Matt, look at me, 
and uh, he was kind of looking uh, through the rearview mirror, and he wanted me to make eye contact with him. You know, sometimes parents can look through that, <laughs> that rearview mirror back at the kids, like, hey, look at me. And instead of looking at my dad like I should have looked at him, I just kept on looking down, kept on looking at uh, the VHS copy of The Lone Ranger. And I'll never forget, my dad reached behind him, and he grabbed that videotape out of my hands. He rolled down the window, and he threw it outside in the desert. And I was shocked, and I was thinking, what have you done? <laughs> And uh, I, I was a little bit like, a little bit like, what's going on here? And uh, I definitely learned a lesson. You'll pay attention when my dad is talking to me. And, and uh, he threw it out the window. And I remember a couple years ago when the new Lone Ranger movie came out, I told Katie, I said, we need to go see it. And, and Katie said, really, the, the Lone Ranger, why? And I said, it's personal. You don't understand. <laughs> we need to go see it. The truth is this morning, a lot of times when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity, we've adopted this Lone Ranger mentality. Where when God has called us, designed us, ordained us to live in the context of community, we sometimes find ourselves in spiritual isolation. When we are living by ourselves and we have this mindset where, where I, I can handle this on my own, I can handle my walk with God on my own, and I can handle my faith on my own, and I don't need to be surrounded in the context of community, but God calls us time and time again to do life together. He has called us and created us for community, and specifically for biblical community, because the truth is, if you're longing for community, you can find that really anywhere. You can go and join up and sign up for a bowling league and find a community there. But if you're longing for Christ-centered, biblical community, that's where spiritual growth happens. Spiritual growth happens in the context when a group of believers come together and surround ourselves with God's word and say, hey, how can we pursue Jesus with everything that we have? That is biblical community. And time and time again, Scripture tells us that we are to find ourselves in the middle of biblical community. The Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 46. The Bible says, and all that believe were together. Everybody say together. together. Hey, better together. They found themselves together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They went to church every single day. Uh, they, they were continuing with one accord going to the temple and breaking bread. Watch this. From house to house. And did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. See, a lot of the ministry in the early church took place in homes. The Bible says this in Acts 5, verse 42, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. And so a lot of times, especially in the Bible, and it should be today, the context of biblical community should take place within the home. We should be opening up our homes and fellowshipping uh, with one another and surrounding ourselves with other Christians and other believers to uh, pursue Jesus. And one of the greatest ways that we can do that here at Rock Hill and, and uh, one of the ways that we foster biblical community at Rock Hill is through our small group ministry. And, and our small group ministry is not something just to fill the schedule and to fill time with. No, we believe it's biblical. We believe God has called us to fellowship together, to continue together, and to uh, have communion with one another. And so uh, that is why we put a high emphasis on our small group group ministry. Now, we, we come to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and uh, the book of Hebrews is a very doctrinal, very significant, important book of the Bible. And uh, uh, we're not exactly sure who the author of the book of Hebrews is, but most people think it's probably the Apostle Paul. And uh, the overall theme of the book of Hebrews is the superiority and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus is greater. The fact that Jesus is better. He is better than the old uh, covenant. He's better than the Mosaic law. He's better than the old sacrificial system. He's, he's more sufficient than the old Levitical priesthood. He is better. He's a better Abraham. He's a better Moses. He's a, he's a better 
better David. He's a better Isaac. He's a better Jacob. He's better than the angels. Really, no matter who it is or no matter what it is, Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. He is all sufficient and he is uh, the one that deserves the preeminent position in our lives. That's, that's the theme of the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 says this, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. It's all about Jesus. And that's the idea of the book of Hebrews, that, that, that Jesus is self-sufficient, all-sufficient. He is the supreme uh, being. And so uh, uh, right in the middle of the book of Hebrews, right in the middle of chapter number 10, the author kind of makes this hard transition. And he transitions from uh, uh, kind of a, the positional portion of the book to the practical portion of the book. And he's saying, in light of what we know, in light of the fact that we know that Jesus is better, that Jesus is greater, that Jesus is the only way, in light of that fact, here's some things that we should be doing. Here, here's the practical implication. And just uh, uh, in a few short verses, we read three times, let us. Let us do these things. Let us consider. Let us hold fast. Let us draw near. And so he's saying, hey, this is how we ought to be doing life together. This is what we should be doing with one another. And so in light of what we know about how Jesus is greater and Jesus is better, here's what we collectively should be doing. And he's talking about how to foster biblical community. And so this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to write down just a few thoughts about this subject of biblical community and how uh, life is better together. And, and, and the title of this sermon today is We Over Me. We Over Me. Now notice a couple of things this morning you can write down. Number one, biblical community begins with a common goal. Biblical community begins with a common goal. Now, before we understand what that common goal is, we have to understand the context uh, of this passage. And we're going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 21. And these are powerful verses. These are life-changing verses. And before we get to the practical implication, we have to understand the theological significance of verses 19 through 21. I would be doing you an injustice uh, if I just kind of skipped to the practical implication without unpacking the theological significance found in verses 19 through 21. And I really believe that these can challenge us and encourage us this morning. And so verse number 19, the Bible says this, Having therefore... Brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. He's saying, hey, we have this boldness to enter into the holiest. Now, the, the book of Hebrews is a book of contrast. He's contrasting the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, the Old Testament to the New Testament, life before Jesus, life after Jesus. And what he's talking about here, he's referencing the Old Testament tabernacle and the temple. And I believe we have a model this morning. And uh, in uh, the tabernacle in the Old Testament, there was the outer courtyard, the, the, the holy place. And then uh, there was right in the center the Holy of Holies, and that was separated by a curtain, separated by a veil. Uh, this was the, the Holy of Holies. Now, we could not just go into the Holy of Holies because that's where God's presence dwelt. That, that, that's where God's uh, presence rested. And so only one person could go to the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, and that was the high priest. He could go once a year on the Day of Atonement to make an atonement and a sacrifice for the sins on behalf of the nation of Israel. And so he would enter into that Holy of Holies where the presence of God was and make that sacrifice. And now uh, the author 
author of Hebrews is saying, we have boldness today. We have boldness to enter into that holiest. How do we have that boldness? How, how can we have entrance into the holy of holies? How, how do we do that? How was that made possible? And then he goes on in verse number 20. It says this, by a new and living way. By a new and living way. Now, now, I love this. The word new is not the typical word for new in the New Testament. It's not, it's not uh, uh, some of the common words for new. In fact, the word uh, new in this is prosphaton. And here's the literal translation of the Greek word new in this text. It means this, freshly slaughtered. Well, what is that talking about? What, what's been freshly slaughtered? That is a reference to Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God that was without blemish, that was without spot. He is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the one that has been freshly slaughtered for your sins and for my sins. Can I tell you today that he is the perfect sacrifice and because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, we can have entrance to God. We can have boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And then he goes on and he says this in verse number 20. He says this, uh, having a, uh, excuse me, by a new and living way. How can something that was freshly slaughtered be living? Can I tell you today that that is re referring and referencing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because yes, he was murdered. And yes, he was killed. And yes, he died on the cross for our sins. But can I tell you today that on the third day, he rose again. He resurrected. And because he resurrected, we can be resurrected as well. A new, freshly slaughtered, a living way. That's how we have access to God, this new and living way. The Bible says this in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse number 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy. Everybody say worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And so then he goes on, verse number 20, he says this, by a new and living way, Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. Everybody say the veil. the veil. Through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And so in verse number 20, he paints this vivid picture and, say, and he says this, we have access to God, we can boldly approach God because the veil has been torn. Th through the veil, that is to say his flesh. See, the inner, inner uh, holy of holies, it was separated by a veil. And this morning I brought this this prop for us so we can kind of understand. Uh, you could not enter into the Holy of Holies because this heavy curtain, this heavy veil was standing in the way. And so you, there was no way that you, we have access uh, to God's presence. By the way, because of our sin, because of our iniquity, the Bible says that we are separated from God and we cannot get to God. We cannot access God's presence in and of ourselves. There's no way that we can get through. This is a barrier that we cannot get through. But, but he says we have access through the veil. That is to say Jesus' flesh. And the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 27. Verses 50 through 51, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, torn in two from the top to the bottom. Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom, because this was a job that only God could do. And the earth did quake and the rocks did rent. And so what I'm trying to tell you today is that when Jesus died on the cross, when he made that perfect sacrifice as the perfect lamb of God, that the temple veil, the thing that separated us from God, the thing that was a barrier to God's presence, 
presence. He says, hey, when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in the middle. And now what was once a barrier to the presence of God is now a portal to the presence of God. And now because of the mediating work of Jesus Christ, we have unlimited, unrestricted access to the God of the universe. We can boldly approach God's presence and go to God. Let us therefore boldly approach the throne of grace and find help and obtain mercy in time of need. Can I tell you today that because of what Jesus did, we can now boldly go to God anytime we want. We don't have to pray to a priest. We don't have to come to church to pray. We can boldly pray to God wherever we are, whoever we are, because Jesus gave us that access. That's what The author of Hebrews is telling us this new and living way. The veil was torn. Now we have access to God. Now, because of that, because we understand we have access and we can approach God, now let's notice the practical implication of that. Notice verse 22. He says, let us draw near with a true heart. Because now we have access... Because the veil has been torn, here's the practical implication. Let's draw near to God. Let's go to God. Let's pursue God's presence. Hey, we're not not blockaded away anymore. We can now go to God. So let's draw near to him. Uh, The pastor at James, he said in James 4, he he said, let us draw nigh to God and God will draw nigh to you. And so we are to approach God. Let me tell you today, biblical community begins with a common goal. What's the common goal? To draw near to Jesus, to draw near to God. That's why we have small groups. That's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. That's why we have discipleship. That's why we want to foster this idea of biblical community and a fellowship and communion with one another because that's our goal. We're trying to get close to God. We want to pursue God's presence. And so he says, let's let's draw near. That's the common goal. Now, notice verse number 22. He's going to give us a few ways that we are to draw near to God. Uh, Just a couple of quick ways. First, he says, we need to approach God with uh, sincerity. Notice what it says in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, a true heart with sincerity. We can't have any ulterior motives. We have to go to God with, with, with uh, sincerity, saying, uh, there, I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm not trying to cover anything up. God, you know my heart. You know who I am. I want to approach you with a heart of sincerity, with the right motives. And then he says, let's approach God with confidence. Notice, notice verse 22 again. Let us draw near with a true heart. That's sincerity. In full assurance of faith. And so we can approach God with confidence, with boldness. We don't have to approach God with uh, this attitude and spirit of doubt and fear. I wonder if God's going to reject me, and I don't know. I did this last week, and I did that, and I messed up, and now I wonder if God's going to shun me and block me out. No, we can have confidence to go uh, to God's presence. So go with sincerity, go with confidence. And then uh, notice the last part of verse 22. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, uh, some people think that that might be a reference to baptism. I don't think it is. Basically, this is a reference to the Old Testament covenant again. Basically, when the high priest would go in and make a sacrifice, he would have to wash himself. And he would have to cleanse himself. And he would sprinkle the blood uh, over the sacrifice. And everything had to be pure and everything had to be cleansed. Now, of course, we don't have to do that today. But we should desire to approach God with holiness. And making sure that we have a, a, a right standing with, uh, when it comes to our fellowship with God. See, we do not have to uh, have uh, our act uh, together. Some people think, you know, I have, to, I have to clean up my life first before I come to God. I have to be, make sure that I'm doing right and then I can come to God. No, because the veil has been torn, we can boldly approach God's, God's presence. No, no, we don't have to clean up our life to come to God. But if you want to foster fellowship... 
If you want a, a close relationship with God, if you want to have real uh, strong prayers and, and, and this connection and this fellowship with God, then we should let grace motivate us to holiness. It's not just saying, let's just set up a bunch of rules so I can be over here and think I'm better than everybody else. No, when we understand God's grace and God's undeserved favor in our lives, that grace should motivate us to say, you know what? I want to live a holy life that's cleansed and that's pure from evil. And I want to pursue God with holiness. See, see, Peter said, be ye holy for I am holy. Quit saying that's what God said. Be ye holy for I am holy. And so we should approach God with sincerity, a pure heart. We should approach God with confidence and we should approach God with, with holiness saying, God, I want to desire to be a vessel that can be used for your work. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse number one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Everybody say holy. holy. And acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And so what I want to tell you today is that's where biblical community begins with the common goal of saying, I want to pursue God. I want to draw near to God's presence. I want to get close to God. And when we have that common goal, we'll come together in church services. We'll come together in small groups, and we'll start to develop real biblical community. And so can I ask you this morning, are, are you drawing near to God? Are you pursuing God's presence? Not just on Sunday morning. I believe we should on Sunday morning, but every day and throughout the week, are we trying, are we doing our best to draw near to God? Hey, we have this amazing access. Are we taking advantage? Are we drawing near? See, the psalmist, he said, my soul, in Psalm 42, verse number two, he said, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He said, man, I just want to get close to God. Is that the desire of your heart today? Because biblical community begins with a common goal. Drawing close to God. Notice number two this morning. Number two, biblical community will cultivate a life of stability. If you're with me, say amen. amen. Biblical community will cultivate a life of stability. Notice he goes on in verse number 23. And he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. He says, let's hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. In ancient Greek literature, the term uh, hold fast was actually used to describe someone that was to endure torture, to hold fast. And no doubt the Hebrews were going through some persecution. They were going through some difficulty. And so the author is saying, hey, hold fast. Don't waver. Don't go back and forth. Hey, hold fast to the profession of your faith. Stand strong is what he is communicating. And I see two things in verse number 23. I see, first of all, the reality of our wavering. The reality of our wavering. Notice what he says in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Because the truth is, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how much knowledge you have about the word of God, we are all susceptible to drift. And so often we know what we're supposed to do and we know what God has for us, but we waver and we vacillate. We go back and forth. And, and a lot of times our life is lacking stability because we're not holding on to the profession of our faith. We're not holding on to the word of God. The Bible says in James 1.8, a double-minded man is unstable. Everybody say unstable. unstable. Unstable in all his ways. And so sometimes we go through life back and forth, and sometimes we're confident in God's purpose. And man, this is what God's called me to do. And then the next day we doubt God's purpose. I don't know. And sometimes we're happy and, and, and healthy and things are going good. And then all of a sudden, the next minute, we're grumpy and angry and upset. And a lot of times we just go back and forth. And then someday I believe what God says. And I want to go to church. And the next day it's like, man, that's the last place I want to be. 
We go back and forth. We, we, we waver. Daniel, can you come up here and help me with something? The Bible says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I don't even heard that verse before. Where there is no vision, the people perish. A lot of times people confuse that, confuse that verse. And, and uh, really, the reality is the word vision is referring to the word of God. Where there is no word of God, there's going to be some instability. And a couple years ago, my aunt, um, she uh, was uh, showing us this balance test where to kind of test your balance, you can stand on a pillow with one foot and see how balanced you are. And so I'm going to see how balanced Daniel is today. And uh, I have confidence. So Daniel, uh, stand on, on one foot and see how, see how you can do as far as your balance goes. Pretty good, right? Pretty good. That's good. But then here's the hard part. Um, she says, next, try to do the same thing, but this time do it with your eyes closed. So do the same thing and do it with your eyes closed this time. <laughs> see, when you can't see, it's hard to have stability. There's something about this with your brain and your body. It's hard to maintain that balance. When you can't see, there's no stability. And the Bible says where there's no vision, the people will perish. And what I want to tell you today is when you are not fixating on God's word and when you are not connected to the word of God, your life will lead to instability. But when we say, you know what, I'm going to hold fast to the profession of my faith and I want to know what I believe and I'm going to get connected in a small group and connected to the word of God, that will lead to stability. Where there is biblical community, there will be increased stability. A life of biblical community will cultivate that stability. And so the author is saying, hey, hold fast to the profession of your faith without wavering. And a lot of times people are so back and forth with what they believe and their emotions is all over the place. But if you anchor yourself to the word of God, you will have the stability that you need in life. Thanks, Daniel. Let's give it up for Daniel and his lack of balance. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. He's saying, hey, we need to get anchored. We need to have this stability, not waver. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 10. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. See, there is strength in unity. There is stability in community. And so I want to encourage you. One of the reasons we're so passionate about small groups and getting together throughout the week is because we believe that will foster, that will cultivate stability in your life. Yeah. And so when difficulty comes and when your health is failing and when you're going through a hard time, that you'll have some people in your life that will hold you up, that will hold you accountable, that will encourage you, that will help you. And so where there is biblical community, that will lead to a life of stability. And so I see the reality of our wavering. But then, uh, secondly in that verse, I see the reliability of our God. Notice what it says at the end of verse number 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful? That he is our anchor? That he is the source of stability? That he's the source of strength? And so, so, so the author is saying, hey, he is faithful. He'll keep you established, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. See, how does biblical community, how does coming together in small groups and on Sundays, how does that uh, cultivate stability? Well, the goal, we said, is getting close to God, right? 
And whenever we're getting close to God, we're getting close to the one that's the source of all the stability in the world. He, he's the one that will uphold us and keep us and, and keep us protected and safe. And so when we are pursuing God, we're getting close to our anchor. He is faithful. He will keep us steady. And so even though we are prone to wander, like the, the hymn writer wrote, uh, Lord, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Even though we are prone to wander, if we are connected in community and connected to the word of God, he will give us that stability that we need. 1 Peter 5.10, but the, grace of, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Number three, biblical community is based on mutual encouragement. Biblical community is based on mutual encouragement. Notice the next verse, verse 24. He then goes on and says this, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And then in verse 25, he says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. See, the idea is, is mutual edification, mutual encouragement. It's not just the pastor encouraging the congregation. It's not just a small group leader encouraging the small group. It's, it's both. It's iron sharpening iron. It's mutual encouragement. How many of you have ever played the game Jenga? Played the game Jenga. Uh, the game of Jenga is, if you haven't played it, you have all the blocks in a tower, and the idea is to, to, remove, to remove a block, right? And uh, sometimes, uh, spiritually, we play unintentionally relational Jenga, where instead of building each other up, we're actually breaking each other down. And the Bible says this in, in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse number 19, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify. Everybody say edify. Edify, edify one another. The word edify means to build something up. So I want to ask you this morning, are you building people up or are you breaking people down? Is there mutual encouragement in your life? Are you encouraging other people? Are you building other people up, encouraging them, challenging them, or are you just tearing other people down? Notice he says here in this verse, verse 24, he says, let us consider one another. The word consider is the Greek word kataneo. Uh, and basically it means to uh, uh, seek to uh, perceive and understand with concentrated thought. So we are to consider others with concentrated thought. We're to really seek to understand other people. We're to really seek to consider and to think, man, what are they going through? And I wonder what's hurting them and what's challenging them. We're to consider to think about them with prolonged thought. See, see, don't miss this. So often we miss out on biblical community because we think, well, I don't need it. I'm doing okay. I, I, I am. My family's good. Finances are good. So, so I don't need it. But what about this? Did you ever consider that there are other people in our church that do need that encouragement and maybe God wants you to be the one to give it to them? So it's got to be mutual encouragement. Hey, if you're the strongest person in the world and you're doing great, perfect. We need you bad in a small group. It's got to be mutual encouragement. It's, it's this idea of concentrated thought. William Barclay, he said this, It is easy to drift into a kind of selfish, selfish Christianity, but a selfish Christianity is a contradiction in terms. There's no such thing. See, to be a Christian means to consider one another. To, to think about others, to have this mutual edification. Philippians Philippian chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, If there, be, if there uh, be therefore any consolation or comfort in Christ, if any... Uh, comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, 
Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better. Everybody say better. Better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So, so when your focus is outward rather than inward, you are becoming more like Jesus. Want to be like Jesus? Want to, want to have the mind of Christ? Start thinking about others. Because Jesus was full of compassion, and he was always moved with compassion thinking about other people. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to start thinking outward rather than inward. And so he says, consider one another. And then he goes on, and then he tells us to challenge one another. Notice what it says in verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke. Everybody say provoke. To provoke unto love into good works. Isn't that an interesting word choice to provoke one another? Because typically we use the word provoke in a negative context, right? Uh, like if you have children, you know all about uh, provoking, right? And uh, I was the youngest uh, growing up in my family, and I was an expert provoker. I knew exactly how to push my brother and sister's buttons. You know, I, I could provoke them uh, like anybody else could. I was good at it. I was very talented. It was my spiritual gift, I think, <laughs> provoking my brother and sisters. But here, it's used in the context of something positive. The word means to stimulate or to instigate. We are to provoke, challenge, instigate others to love and good works. Now, notice the verse does not say that we're to consider how to love and to do good works. That's not what the verse says. Although that would be great, to consider, to love, and to do good works. It says to consider how to provoke others to love and to do good works. That means that as Christians, we are called to challenge one another and to find someone that needs encouragement, that needs to know how to love and needs to know how to do good works, and we're to challenge and provoke, instigate, stir it up in them so that they'll do that. And so it's got to be this mutual encouragement where we're considering one another and we're challenging one another and we're considering how can we, how can we instigate love and good works? How, how, how can I spur someone on? Maybe that means getting in a small group. Maybe that means actually leading a small group. If you're interested in leading a small group, talk to us. We'd love to give you more information about that. Maybe that means bringing someone else to church. And what are we doing? We're provoking, we're instigating others to love and to good works. It's not about me. It's, it's about we. It's, it's one another. And so biblical community is all about uh, mutual edification, mutual encouragement. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says this, Iron sharpeneth iron, so man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We, we all need people in our lives that can challenge us. We all need people in our lives that can hold us accountable and ask us tough questions. And a small group is a great place to find that kind of accountability and that kind of encouragement. Notice one more this morning. Do you have one more in you? Number four, biblical community is impossible without gathering. Biblical community is impossible without gathering. Notice what it says in verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We can't forsake the assembling, the gathering of ourselves together, as the manner of some is but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, corporate fellowship is not an option for Christianity. It's an absolute necessity. Yeah. Kent Hughes, he said this, it is true that a person does not have to go to church to be a Christian. He does not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if he does not, he will have a very poor relationship. The Bible says in Psalm 27, verse number four, one thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after 
that I may dwell. Everybody say dwell. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. See, see David was saying there's got to be some permanence about this. Dwell is a word of permanence, to, to dwell in the house of the Lord. I'm going to stay faithful to the gathering of God's people. And I believe that verse has a twofold implication. I believe that it's talking about the corporate gathering on Sunday mornings. We shouldn't forsake that. But I believe also it's talking about uh, the fellowship of one another, the small group gatherings throughout the week, the, the sense of biblical community throughout our lives that we're not to forsake the gathering of God's people together. See, I'm a firm believer in the primacy of preaching. I believe in the centrality of Scripture and of Jesus Christ, and I believe that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise. But I also know this. The preaching on Sunday is not enough for your spiritual growth. If the only time you're getting content and material from the Word of God is on Sunday morning, it's not enough. And so let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves. Let's get connected into group, into community throughout the week so that we can be iron sharpening iron, that mutual edification. See, see, spiritual growth will only thrive in the context of biblical community. So we've got to get connected. We've got to get plugged in. Robert Moffat, he was, a, he was an old preacher, and he suggests a few reasons why people uh, don't want to be faithful in church and a few reasons why people don't come to church. And the first one is fear. You know, a lot of people don't come to church because they're afraid people are going to judge them. They're afraid that they're not going to be welcomed. And that's why it's my prayer that Rock Hill will always be a place where we welcome the outsider. We love the unlovable. We want to welcome everybody in, the hurting, the broken. And a lot of people don't come to church because they're fear. They're, fear, they're, they're afraid of what people might think. The second reason he lists is that, is that many Christians are over-particular. And that keeps them away from church. They're over particular. They, uh, I, don't, I didn't really like that song. And I don't like how they did that. And I don't know if I would do that that way. And because of that, they, they just stay home. They're over particular. And then the third reason that he suggests is, is really because of pride. Maybe intellectualism. Like, I don't need that. I, I'm good. Kind of that lone ranger mentality. I'll just do this on my own. And so they, they, they stay away. And we, we often have so many excuses why we miss out on biblical community and we're busy and we're tired. But I believe that, that if you give God the time, he'll give you the grace you need the next day to get through. And so a lot of times we have so many different reasons. And I want to close today just by giving briefly. I want to just give five benefits of being in a small group. Is that okay? Five benefits, you don't have to write them down because I'm going to go through them quick, but just five benefits of being in a small group. Number one, you'll be able to make great friends for the journey of life. Some of my greatest friends in life are in my small group. Some of them I didn't even know 12 months ago. But small groups are a place to make friends for the journey of life. Number two, you'll, you'll grow in your understanding of the Bible. Every week in our small groups, no matter which one you, you go to, we have some in North Fontana, South Fontana, Middle Fontana, uh, other places. No matter which one you go to, we're always going to open up the Word of God. And that is a place to ask questions and to, and to say, what about this? And to grow with one another. You'll grow in your understanding of the Bible. Number three, it's a place to get and give care. Like I said earlier, when things happen in our lives and we're going through a trial or a difficulty and our health fails and we're going through something hard, we need to be surrounded by people that will give us care, that we can talk to, that we can, we can know what each other are going through. So it's a place to uh, give and get care. Number four, it's a place to pray with and for one another. 
no matter what small group you go to, we're always going to pray at those small groups. Always take a time to, to, to take down some prayer requests and pray for one another. And number five, it's a great place to bring your friends to introduce them to Jesus. See, a lot of times, uh, sometimes people have an obstacle of coming to church on a Sunday. But if you say, hey, we're going to go uh, to this uh, guy's house. We're going to have some food and we're going to have a Bible study. You should come. Uh, sometimes people are way more open to an invitation like that. So I want to encourage you today, as we leave, I'm going to have all our small group leaders standing in the back and we're going to have some sign-up sheets and you can ask questions. And I want to encourage you to sign up for a small group today and get plugged into biblical community. Notice, notice uh, this last thought in verse number 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Imagine this with me for a minute. Imagine if we were no longer able to meet at Steelworkers Auditorium. And let's say that the Inland Empire shut down all the church buildings and there was literally no place that we could meet. Can I tell you today that we would still have church in our homes through our small groups? Rock Hill Baptist Church would go on. And that's exactly what happened to the early church. He says, as ye see the day approaching. What's he talking about? Well, in the immediate context, he's talking about the destruction of the temple in AD 70. In 70 AD, he's saying, he's saying, hey, your whole system is about to be destroyed. Your temple's about to be destroyed. So get together and, and consider one another and provoke one another and get in biblical community because that's where you're going to have to meet in homes together. And then in our context, as you see the day approaching, he's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today that Jesus is coming again? And when he comes back again, he ought to find us in biblical community. He ought to find us encouraging one another and loving one another and provoking one another and helping one another. He ought to find us not in isolation, but in community. Christianity was never intended to be a life of independence. It was always intended to be a life of interdependence upon one another pursuing Jesus. Several years ago, I was on a trip in Costa Rica. We were with a group of about 35, 40 people, and uh, we were walking through downtown San Jose, Costa Rica, and it was a national holiday there, and there was this uh, parade going through the street, and very, very busy, just people everywhere. And our group that, that, that was there, we went inside of a McDonald's. We were going to grab dinner, and uh, while we were inside of the McDonald's, the power went out for the entire city. And I thought, you know, maybe a generator is going to kick on or something, lights are going to come back on in a minute. But as soon as that power went out, I'll never forget the owner of that McDonald's there in Costa Rica. He ran over to the door and he locked it and he put chains around it. And we were like, what's going on? And the lights never did turn on that night in the entire city. And we stayed locked in that McDonald's for over two hours. And finally, our group said, okay, we need to walk back to the hotel. It was a couple miles away. And so we went outside and we all got together and we said, hey, if we're going to walk back to the hotel, we heard, uh, we heard when we were inside that McDonald's, people screaming and people looting and people stealing things. The power was out, festival night, just, just this crazy night, very dangerous city. And so we as a group got together and said, okay, if we're going to make it back, we're going to stick together. And so all the ladies got on the inside and they linked arms. All, all the men stood on the outside and we said, hey, we got to stay within arm's reach of each other at all times. And together as a unit, we walked back, we made it safely, safely to the hotel. Can I tell you today, there is safety, there is security, there is stability when we do life together. When we say, you know what, I'm going to pursue Jesus. I got a common goal. I have access to God now, but I don't want to do it in isolation. I want to do it together with people that I love and people that I can encourage and grow together with. Life is always better together. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.
many could say, as we went through those verses this morning, talking about biblical community, that in one of these areas, maybe it's pursuing Jesus, that's our common goal, maybe it's mutual edification, mutual encouragement, maybe it's this area of stability, maybe it's this area of just being faithful to the gatherings of God's people. How many could say, in one of these areas, as we were going through this section of scripture of God's word, God spoke to me in one of these areas. If that's you, can I just see that as a testimony? Nobody's looking around, but God spoke to me in one of these areas today. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. How many could say specifically, God spoke to me about not living in isolation. Maybe you've been, been kind of having that lone ranger mentality, but God spoke to you today about the need and the necessity to get plugged into community, to biblical community. How many could say that, that's where I'm at today. God spoke to me in that area. If that's you, can I see your hand? God spoke to me. Thank you so much. You can put your hands down. Really, the theme of the book of Hebrews and, and the whole introduction to this message, I talked about how we have access to God and how because of Jesus and, and, and the price that he paid on the cross that we can have a home in heaven. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again on the third day so that we could have new life. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I have that new life. I don't know if I were to die today, if I'd go to heaven or hell. I'm not really sure. I know about Jesus. I know about church, but I don't know if I've ever made that real. I don't, I don't know if I've ever boldly approached God. I don't know if I've ever really accepted Christ into my heart and given my life to him. Well, I believe that today can be the day of salvation for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he made a new and living way to God. He is the only way. And a lot of times people get so confused and they think, well, I've got to be a good person and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And I've got to come to church and read my Bible and do all these things. But the Bible makes it so clear. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's by his mercy that he saved us. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And it's not of ourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.